Peter Drucker said, the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence, it is to act with yesterday's logic. Today we talk about new ways for smart IT leaders to navigate change and uncertainty because we're having some of that. An industry under pressure, innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of Nutanix or any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are here at the fabulous Canon co-working space here on the west side of Houston. And I'm here with Mr. Casey Hall, and he is a managing director for business and technology at a company called Vaco here in Houston. Some of you might be familiar with Vaco, some of you might not. So Casey, thanks for being here. Thank you. And just a little bit about who you are, what you do there, who is, what's your mission and why are we here talking? Yeah, I've been with Vaco for now 10 years, almost nine years right. through some predecessor companies. Vaco, we do, we provide people and we provide solutions. So it's pretty simple. Any company, we need I, both of those exactly. all the time. Yeah, any, <laughs> any company fantastic. out there who says people are their best asset, we can help you. Right. And any company out there that has problems with business processes, technology, we can help you. So we are able to cover both sides of that. We have some specialty consulting businesses in healthcare and supply chain. Mm-hmm. So we're getting more diverse as we grow through acquisition. My background, I'm not a career consultant. I worked in the financial services industry for over 10 years. I worked in the chemical industry and refining for over 10 years in IT. And so I spent most of my career on the buy side of consulting services. And so now I'm on the delivery you side. Came the dark side. I, well, <laughs> I have a joke that I was mentoring an MBA student once and he wanted to get into consulting and he was saying something about the dark side. And then my joke to him was, here's your biggest lesson you're ever going to learn. They're all dark sides. They're all dark sides. That's right. That's right. You know, actually, we were talking about this earlier, but I spent the first 15 plus years of my career. I say, I like to say I grew up in the consulting business and it is, it's a different, it's, it's a different world, but you know, there are that wherever you go, there are good people who want to help you. And then there are other people who necessarily don't always fit that description. So fortunately, I'm sure you got all the good ones on your side. Nothing but good Nothing people but at Vaco. So your role with, with Vaco now is what? So what I do is I help companies who have some sort of problem situation or opportunity. And that generally can be anything from IT strategy, ERP roadmaps and selections, ERP remediations, they need business process improvement. We can help implement other systems. We're not the system integrator who does what an SAP integrator does or an Oracle integrator, but almost everything else that goes into delivering those systems we can do. And then on the staffing side, we provide a lot of people to just about any role that an IT department needs or an accounting and finance department and a number of other functions in the the that a company needs to have. Right. And so if I, and if I understand from our, our chat earlier, I guess your specific contribution in all that is you really play an advisory role to your clients from the 
the standpoint of helping to understand their landscape. I always used to say when I was in consulting, I used to say every consulting engagement comes down to one basic equation, which is where are you now? Where are you trying to get to? And, and how are we going to get you there? And, and hopefully we're not going to make up a way to get you there, but we know we already have a way of, of getting you there. We're going to yes. apply that, that approach and it won't be just winging it. So which kind of leads into our topic, which is about really speaking to IT leadership, which we, we kind of encapsulate that in a non-personal word, but the fact is that inside the words IT leadership, there's a whole bunch of people out there, specifically in oil and gas right now, who are looking at, at the scenario. We don't really have to get into these troubling times because we all know what that situation looks like, particularly in the oil and gas industry. But nonetheless, they have to navigate that landscape, the change and the uncertainty involved, and they need a way of doing that. And so I think the, the moral of the story is that, you know, from what I understand from what you're doing is that there's various, there are, there are methods, right? And there are techniques for reducing the pain and the risk associated with this is what's in front of me. This is what I need to accomplish. My budget's tightening. People still expect a lot of things of mm-hmm. me. What do I do? How do I navigate? How do I go forward? So that's kind of the overarching right. theme, I think, right? And kind of mixed into that, there's sort of a natural reset that's happening just because even without all the troubles, there's, you know, new, people are trying to shift to the cloud, people are trying to change their operating models, that, all this stuff. So what is that? How do you, I mean, you're out there talking directly with customers. What does this whole scenario look like from their eyes as they're looking out? Yeah, it's really interesting because a lot of it depends on where in a life cycle you are. So, you know, the pandemic hits. You know, oil markets had already been impacted in the pandemic hit, so we all know what happened. So we started talking to our clients, and at the time we were thinking it was going to be fairly, we were hoping for, everybody's hoping for the V-shaped recovery. Right. So we started. We're still having, by the way. (laughs) Yes. All recoveries are V-shaped on a long enough scale. Yeah, exactly. Zoom out far enough. (laughs) So basically we started getting anecdotal information about how much cutting was going on at some places. But I had another client that was still investing. I mean, we were in the middle of a large project and they had offshore rigs about to go out to drill site and we had to get things ready. So what we ended up doing in July, cause you know, time is starting to pass and it's like, okay, this is, this is all lasting longer than any of us wanted. So we did this survey that we sent out and it was more than just oil and gas, but we sent it out to Houston IT leaders. And about a third of the responses were oil and gas, because this is Houston. And we're heavy, whether it's the Vaco Houston, Vaco Dallas, Vaco San Antonio, we all have oil and gas clients. Yep. So what we were getting back was that they were confirming the anecdotes, which is most companies were cutting, 75% of the companies were cutting projects. A third were cutting almost all their projects. And so that's mm-hmm. just been coming off the table for IT. Oil and gas was heavy in that one-third. I know a couple that have told me that recently. They're yes. like, I'll talk to you next year because, because we're right. not doing anything right now. Yes, and so 50% were cutting headcount, whether that's employee, IT employee headcount or contractor headcount, and 50% were cutting services. And not all of them were cutting headcount aggressively, but they were a lot of them were cutting services pretty aggressively because it's easier to reduce right. vendor spend than in always is to reduce your employees. And so out of that, 
What's interesting for IT leaders to pick up on what you were just saying is the IT leader is sitting there and it's an eternal problem, which is somebody always wants you to manage your budget down, but every department in the company wants IT support of some kind because they need to get their budgets down. And so technology is the most common lever that departments can use these days. And so we're in a great period You know, in spite of the bad things happening short term, we're in a great period in the big picture because there's so much technology helping us do everything so much better that and more efficiently that we're accomplishing things that, you know, are making everybody's lives better. And and it's not and it's not just don't lose your train of thought on that survey, but I think it's important because it's not just the historical sort of the traditional IT, you know, ERP systems, back office file and prints, business applications, there's a tremendous amount of pressure to bring these new capabilities out into the operational environments, Correct. which is, you know, not for the faint of heart. I mean, there there are computers already out there doing things, but they're not prepared to have all this, <laughs> this onslaught of new, you know, digital capabilities right. brought to bear for the purpose of doing the things that you're saying. But the potential is there. And so you can't ignore the potential. Correct. Right. And so, so to an IT, so ultimately that comes back to IT leadership to figure out now, now not only do I have to figure out how to do things for all these departments that want better efficiencies, but now they want me to make things better in the opera on the operational side as well. Yep. So yeah. So the survey results coming back that people are cutting because they're cutting everywhere. And so then, but still you want to try to accomplish new things. And so we've got clients, we've got one client that particularly on the OT side, they've got a lot of data in their data historians. They're doing what they need to do day to day. But now because Amazon Web Services and they have machine learning that you can use off of Amazon Web Services, you don't have to spend a whole lot of money up front. They're able to use that technology. They're piloting this right now to take the data that's coming out of the data historian. They're looking at things as how the compressors are running. This is in the pipeline business. And they're looking at how the compressors are running and what they're going to try to prove to themselves in the small pilot is that they can get some cost savings directly out of how they're managing these. Now, the great benefit of that is, one, it doesn't cost a lot to do that pilot. Two, if the pilot proves out, then now they've got a direct cash cost savings because they're not spending as much fuel, whatever. Right. And so an IT leader who can then say, I need part of that cash cost savings to do some other investment elsewhere. Right. You know, they can make that argument that, you know, we're delivering that. There's the people who may have a lot of technology that is kind of the standard technology. They've got an ERP, they've got their data storings, they got all that good stuff and it works, but there's things they can do that doesn't have to cost a lot. Then you've got the other side of the equation. We've got another client that they've actually finished building some brand new offshore rigs, totally modern, ready for the digital age, but they do not have all their back office systems in place and everything. So they've got rigs that are better than everything they have (laughs) in the back office in terms of the ability to use technology. And so now they're kind of having to deal with, okay, the follow-on investments to building the rigs you know, we're helping them complete an enterprise asset management implementation 
but the other things they would really need to do to create some true unique value, that's probably going to get pushed out now because sure. of you so know they have these capabilities out there to get all the data, but how do you actually make use of that data? Correct. And yeah, I mean that's the other part of the equation is, and how do you use it? I had a similar conversation with somebody at one of the well-known mid-size independents here in Houston. Come on, give them more hints. uh, (laughs) Here's a hint. I always, whenever I go there, I always like to go get a pastrami sandwich at Kenny and Ziggy's. (laughs) So actually that narrows it down to two. So I haven't quite given it. Okay. But you know, they had this whole, this was back when everybody was just beginning to try to do analytics, you know, and talking about, you know, predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics and how do you get there? And they put this whole pilot proof of concept together and they said, like, ta-da, look at what we produced, mm-hmm. right? And I think maybe they were using, I forget which tools, maybe like, what is it, R and some other stuff. And they had these guys in a, and, you know, they gathered up all this data from all these places and they produced some magic and said, here's what we ought to be doing with this particular asset at this particular time. And a couple of asset managers and people in the business I looked at and they said, that's fantastic. We want that we want that live on this asset yeah. and this asset and this asset right away. And they're like, uh, it took us 30, 30 days just to go get all the data and bring it into our systems and do stuff with it, right? Yeah. And so the problem is you have to, it's one thing to do a POC. It's right. another thing to actually operationalize that in a way that you can sustain and continue to get benefits from. Yeah, it's an interesting problem because the proof of concept, if it can produce real cost savings, then it gives you the ability to live off the land of saying, take the savings and use that to pay for the next one that you're going to implement. But that can take a long time. And once people's, once their eyes are seeing all the savings, then, then, okay, can't we find some money so we can do this faster? And so, you know, back in the day at Lyondell, we had some stuff where we did some live off the land kind of strategy. So it took a longer time to roll things out, but it also had very minimal cash impact because we're essentially taking this, we implemented here, we start saving money, that pays to implement it at the next place. We start saving money, pays to implement the next place. And so, but people just want, are going to want things really, really fast. Right now, right, because the pressure is... Cut, cut, cut. Like, here, like, yeah. like here's $2, and if you can turn that into $4 by tomorrow right. at noon, then we'll see about what we do next. And, and, and so that's a really interesting point because the key is, and, and this is where the CFOs are so important in this process, is making that case in a way that the CFO believes that the dollars are real. Because because right. I I was working in a, at a bank in a is bank it actual savings or yeah. is it just like moving right. money from this column to that column? Right? Yeah, I was in a Chapter Eleven situation once, and so there came a point where we had a project that if we did it, it was going to pay for itself in six months. And I remember we ran went through the numbers, the business leader and, and mm-hmm. me, we went through the numbers with the CFO, and once he was convinced, then he looked at us and said it would be wrong for me not to approve the project. I would be doing a bad job if I didn't approve the project. So if you can get that compelling cash, and the key to me is always cash, of drawing a distinction between what is literally a cash savings versus what's not a cash savings. Because if you can prove a cash savings, you're gonna get approval. 
And right now it has to be quick, right? Yes. Because I don't want to wait too long to find out whether you're right or not. Exactly. Yeah. It's the old, you want to find out if you're wrong really, really quick, which is why, you know, not, uh, I'm not advertising Amazon, but if you can go out there and do a machine learning pilot and prove that, okay, we're we're running these assets more efficient and that means we're not buying fuel or we're not using electricity or something that you pay cash for then people can believe that and you can measure it. Right. So so we're sitting here, you and I, we have lots of great ideas and we have all the answers. Yeah. You did this survey, you got back some results. Right. And people are kind of in different, you know, like you said, the slightly, slightly different variations, but everybody's kind of up against it with needing to yep. do something. So what are they doing? What do, you, what do you see? So do you have any insight as to what are people doing about it? What are they thinking about doing about right. it? How are, they, how are they moving forward from this point? Yeah, one of the questions in the survey, it, was, it basically was exactly what are people, what are some of the things they're doing? And we gave them, it wasn't you answer one question, you could answer, I'm doing all five of these things. And we literally had one company that we had, I think we had like seven choices and five of them were related to cost cutting and two were related to I'm investing to grow my business. Right. They picked all five yeah. of the cost yeah. cutting. So they were doing everything possible they could think of. So that, sure. that leader at that company was being aggressive and figuring it out. So it's key things that people are starting to look at. And some of these are not new news. I'm not yeah. communicating something that people have not been looking at. But one is a lot of folks are on tier one ERPs. SAP and Oracle. So for the uninitiated, that means expensive. <laughs> yes. Tier one means expensive. Tier right? one means it can be expensive to right. run. And so, you know, companies may have implemented that many years ago. Sure. And things have evolved a lot. And there are a lot of good tier two ERPs that are less expensive to implement. And so people are starting to kick around the idea of, do I really need to be on this system anymore? Is my scale and what my scale is going to be for the next five years, do I need this? Right. And, you know, the way that you can back to this live off the land thing is, well, it's easy to say, okay, we're going to replace our ERP. I still need money to do that. Well, if you can start saying, okay, I'm going to turn off my maintenance on SAP and Oracle and use some third-party support or something, you can save a lot of money off your current maintenance. And that's, that, and and that's, that's cash. That's immediate, right? Yeah, you don't, yeah I mean. That, that doesn't, that's not like spend money to make money. That's, or to spend money to save money. That's right. like right away yeah. you start. Yeah. yeah, the only trick is when your contract comes up and stuff like that. Sure. So, but, so, but those companies are so easy to negotiate with, right? SAP yeah. and Oracle, the, you shouldn't really have any trouble. It's amazing how flexible <laughs> SAP and Oracle are in all of their <laughs> negotiations. Right, they're right. And so there are ways that if you have this view that your five-year horizon, your seven-year horizon doesn't require that level of system, you can do other things like that. And so it could be, though, that you even want to stay on the system. You just need it to be cheaper. Well, then if you're going to stay on the system and it's not going to be, you're not going to be doing a whole bunch of enhancements, there's third-party support options that are, are, are cheaper. And, you know, people may have read about some of the lawsuits that have gone on as these third-party support vendors are playing in the marketplace. But those those are getting resolved, and, and they're not. The big ERP vendors are recognizing that, yeah, somebody may go away for now, 
they'll come back later when circumstances are different. Right. Because there's any number of things between merger acquisition, et cetera, et cetera, that's going to bring the exact, it may not be the same company name, the same LLC. It's the same <laughs> assets are sitting on the sure. ground. It's just how many different names did those assets have right. and who owns them at the time and sure. what do they want to do different. And so, you know, oil and gas, a lot of people, almost everybody knows each other. Everything comes back around. Yep. So, okay, so you're getting into kind of like what I would call the methodology, of yep. it, which which probably comes natural to you to think through that. Well, you could do this or you could yep. do that or you could do this. So you're in the thick of that every day with multiple clients. You know, you're probably going to bed thinking about it and waking up thinking about it. What about for the folks out there who say, okay, that's where I am. I could have been one of those people on the survey. How do I, and, and yeah, I know there's a lot of different options. How do I evaluate those options? Yep. How do I make the right decisions? How do I make a decision that I'm not going to regret in two months and wish that I'd done something different? Like, and again, for me also coming from the consulting background, you know, we always used to like to say, like, there's the, there's a methodology. We have a way of doing that. Right. Right. And so what, what kind of, what kind of guidance do you give people about, not necessarily about a specific decision, but how do you have a framework right. for making decisions? So one common tool that I use, and this was not invented, I, don't, I have no idea who invented it, but I learned it from somebody many, many years ago, and I still use it to this day, and I've used it with clients, and they've adopted it. It's just called a time analysis, and it's basically taking your portfolio of applications and IT services and things and looking at what they cost you, what benefit you think, not in detail, just notionally, and are there certain risks with them? And then you start classifying them in one of four categories. You know, T is tolerate, I is invest, M is migrate, and E is eliminate. So the easy ones are your core systems, they go in your invest bucket. You know, they're the right technology for you. They match your business. So that's my invest bucket. And then you tend to have some things that it's like, why do we have this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not easy to support, right. you know, the guy who really loved it doesn't work here anymore. Let's eliminate it because right. that guy doesn't work here anymore. So you can eliminate those. Then you get into the grayer area, which is you've got applications. They may not be the best fit, right. but they're doing something that you really need. And so you just basically say, I'm going to tolerate that. I want it to be efficient, as efficient as I can, but... If I have something new to do, I'm still going to try to put it in one of my systems that's in my invest bucket. And then the migrate bucket is generally what any of any people who've been through a lot of merger acquisitions, and I went through a lot back in the day, you just end up with a lot of duplicate systems that are doing very similar things. And if you do enough mergers in a row, you get behind. Mm -hmm. And sure. so you don't, if you only do one at a time every few years, you, everybody takes the synergies. It's not that hard. But if you're doing a lot, right. you just end up with all this stray stuff. And so and there's quite a few going on right now. Correct. Right? Yeah. Some big ones. Right? Yeah. And, and even some, some medium sized ones. Yep. And so now, you know, this is the thing about right now because there's a lot of cutting going on. It's very hard to defend things that on the surface don't make a whole lot of sense. In the past, you know, companies would tolerate it. Now you don't have to tolerate it. It's, there's just too much that you have right. to decide. And the faster you make the decision, the better off you're going to be. 
And there's very few people who are going to be like, oh, we really got to keep this technology around just for me, in spite of the fact it costs the equivalent of, you know, whatever. Because, you know, you could keep two employees sometimes for what some of these systems cost. Sure. And, yeah. and those employees are very valuable. Why, right. why are we keeping the system and letting the employees go? The employees are better. better it's interesting. It's a, so it's funny. As a general philosophy, it reminds me of the Eisenhower Matrix, right, for prioritizing things that you're supposed to do, right? Yep. The, the, the boxes are, you know, like do it now, you know, delegate it. Uh, yep. Something I can't remember now, but you know, the last, the, the bottom right boxes is get rid of it, right? And I always wondered, I always thought it was interesting that well, why do I need a box to keep track of the things that I'm getting rid of? <laughs> but like, why don't I just get rid? I really only need three boxes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but you know, it, it, it's sort of lopsided when you do that. Yeah, but. it's for the short attention span. People who do not remember to get rid of. It. I got it's, yeah, I got rid of that. Oh, yeah, it's in the got rid of box. So, but the approach, the point is having that kind of like which box does it go in sort of forces the discipline of making very clear decisions about each one and right. each each the clarity of the decision then leads to the clarity of the action that's required in order to follow right. through on that. Yeah, and and it doesn't mean that because you put it in a box you have to make the take the action immediately. Right. You just start figuring out, you know, where is the best leverage? If I take more action on the migrates versus the eliminates, am I better off? You know, where's the money? Right, that's that's right, what right. you're looking for. So I want to get, we're getting, we're starting to get toward the end of our time, but I wanted okay. to hit one more topic, which is, so people who are undertaking these undertakings, <laughs> <laughs> they, it's often a benefit, and I've been on both sides of this equation. I've been on the side of the person needing help and on the side of the person who wants to provide the help. And it's, it's always, there's a benefit to getting help. Mm -hmm. One reason is because you get expertise that you may not have. Another reason is you get the benefit maybe of other people and the lessons they've learned and what they've done. And a, and a third reason, let's not forget, is sometimes it's best to not be the only person who made that decision. But you can say, right. I made that decision based on guidance from somebody else. Correct. So, But at the same time, we all know that it's it can be very – it's a difficult process to decide – who do you want to bring in to help you? It's easy when at the technical skills level because you can see, you know, it's, well, it's never easy, but it's easier because you can say, I think these guys know how to do the thing that they're doing or they don't know how to do the thing. But at an advisory capacity, I want advice. I want to have somebody come in and help me work through this. I don't want to have to learn this methodology with somebody else, right? How do you, how do you go about finding somebody that can actually give you, you know, that you can work with that's, gives you good advice and value and kind of has your, has the right motives and all that. And you can't just say, just come to me because, because <laughs> that's too easy. That's too easy of an answer. But really like when you think yeah. about the type of partner that you want to be in these types of scenarios, how do, you know, you're not going to be able to take care of everybody in the world who wants to do this. Correct. How do they find people that, that they can trust and rely on to help? Right. So we'll put aside the political part that you alluded to, yeah. which is, that, Naturally, that, Casey Hall, 800, right? <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm actually going a different direction. Okay. The part about, okay, we're going to bring in yada yada consulting firm because if they say something to the board, then, you know, we're not going to get blamed. <laughs> so we put aside that, right. you know, that's a valid, you know, but, but buying a, decision. There's a, there's a softer side of that which says, I really would like to not make this decision on my own. Right? Correct. Like, I would like to have somebody else's, well, you right. know, with some skin in the game. 
Yeah, and that's the and so that's the other part where you're you're now trying to say, okay, objectively, I need to figure out how I want to do this. And so I grew up most of my career. I was on the buy side of hiring right. services. Sure. Obviously, now I'm on the sales and delivery side, so I get to see both sides of the equation, just like you have. So to me, the key criteria that I was always thinking about was how much of this requires very detailed knowledge of my business to produce the best result? And is the gap, in, and it, if, if that's what it requires, then what is my gap in freeing up my own people to do this hard thing because they have the knowledge versus some other knowledge that they may not have that I can hire <laughs> sure. in a very relatively targeted way. And so then it becomes a question of, okay, I don't need to hire the experts. Well, maybe I need an expert just to advise my person and coach my person, but I don't need the expert to do all the work. I just need some regular resources right. to do the day-to-day -day work while my smart person internally gets to do the fun project. Right. So that's one version of what I, but there's other problems that the reality is you just do not have the, the knowledge internally. So you have to go to somebody else. And so that's where it really does come down to kicking the tires on a few different people and getting them to try to give you a good description of what they're actually going to do. I mean, that was always the thing that sometimes I struggled with as a buyer of services was you'd get this proposal and it would have a whole lot of content in it, but the content that was about my problem and me and my company was two pages out of right. a whole lot of other pages. Right. Right. So, you know, we've all been in meetings where you get handed a proposal and everybody immediately, they're looking for the <laughs> price page. Well, right. the other thing I was always looking for was just where's the stuff that's about me? And so, you know, are you seeing things that are about the problem and that right. they've already put some effort into that problem? And so, so those are kind of things. So to me in the oil and gas space right now, these kind of machine learning optimization problems are mm -hmm. ones that if you have some of that skill set internally, then I personally would still have a bias to try to have some of my own people do that. Maybe they need a little bit of help, but do the pilot, let them learn that skill set, let them, they understand the data better. So they, they should be able to do it more efficiently. The other side of the coin is you know, if people, and I use the word coin, and that's my, <laughs> my lead in to this, I, yeah, that was a subliminal pun yeah, that, you know, right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right now, you know, if you're in oil and gas and, and you're, you've got excess energy, you're flaring, whatever, that you can produce electricity, well, you can start Bitcoin mining. Right. And there's been a whole show, you know, on this technology podcast about that. Right. And, you know, it creates an alternate revenue stream. Well, but the odds are that your internal people. Probably not their first yeah. skill. Yeah. yeah, they they probably are interested in cryptocurrency. But that doesn't mean that if you're going to set up an auditable, <laughs> you know, controlled, you know, yeah. Bitcoin mining yeah. operation yeah. somewhere out in the field where you're generating electricity. Right. That you want to spend a lot of time on that versus you, you can bring in somebody because the faster you get it working, the faster it pays Pretty you cash right, yeah. versus going through a learning process. So, sure. so those are things that I tended to look at as a buyer. And as I provide services, you know, just, you know, I've often advised clients on ERP selections that 
they're better off taking their best people out of some of their day jobs, putting them on the ERP project, and we'll happily backfill the day-to-day jobs, and they'll get a better result. And selfishly, from our yeah. side, we'll still earn revenue sure. from yeah. providing the day-to-day support. Well, if you're providing value, then it's then it's worthwhile. I think you hit on another good reason to collaborate with trusted advisors, partners, is because you, you do get the benefit of some outside-the-box thinking. Outside-the-box is a little bit overused, but one of the things that you know I always think about when we start saying we need to think outside the box is, well, why is it outside the box? Because maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a reason this is outside the box. And, you know, has anybody ever done this before and succeeded, right? So to your point. Right. And so getting, having somebody who can come in and say, you probably haven't thought of this before, but I've seen it work. And, and right. these are the conditions for making it work or not making it work. I think that's yep. really valuable. So that's all really good stuff. I think we're, we're going to have to wind up. If I'm looking at the little red numbers telling me that that's probably it. But if somebody, this has been really good. It's kind of a sweet spot for me too, because you know, coming from a similar background, we could talk about it for a long time. But if somebody right. wants to, to learn more about you or flaring and Bitcoining for electricity, <laughs> you know, if, somebody, if somebody wants to know more about you, what you're doing, where do they look? Or about your survey, for example. Right. Yeah. yeah so, the, so my LinkedIn profile is a good place to find out more about me. We've got a blog post about the IT survey, and right, we, right. we can add we'll that, that link that to the, the show, show notes. notes yep. We've got some other blogs related to evaluating whether your Tier 1 ERP is overkill. And then, so those are some things. I'll share those with That'd you. That'd be good. And yeah, you yeah. can just put them in the show notes, and people can, if they're sleepy, they can read some of that. No, I think it's good. I think people appreciate sometimes some specific content references because so many times when we just go to a website or we just go like it's like okay well now where do i go from here where do i find this right. that's relevant to me so we'll put some links so people can yep. skip over the you know all things to all people very good casey appreciate it appreciate you being here and i was afraid it was going to get a little noisy in here for a minute but actually here at the beautiful canon workspace in houston it's actually been pretty quiet so Yes, thank you for having me. And yeah, this has turned out to be a great location, even with us out on we the did floor. It. We did it. So. one time. I was here with Mark one day, and there's a metal roof up there. Those of you following a lot at home can't see me looking at the metal roof. But <laughs> it's not that it's far not up. And it, there was one of these famous Houston rainstorms happening. And you know what rain sounds like on a metal roof. So yes. that was rather comical. So we, we emerged unscathed today. All right, thanks. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Want to mention a couple of things real quickly. Cognite, our sponsor. You were talking earlier about doing some things with data and analytics. Cognite is doing amazing stuff with industrial data, adding context, making it intuitive, making it usable both by humans and by applications. Check them out. They have some really innovative stuff. We're also doing the tech product reviews. If you've got a, a product that like I can carry in my hands and isn't like doesn't require a forklift, and we could we'll, we'll test it out and we'll tell you what we'll do a review on the show and tell everybody what we think about it. Also, we got the street team going, which is now being led by the valiant Warren Spiewak, who is leading our street team on the virtual streets because I don't think they're quite on the real streets yet. But there's a Facebook group and there's some other stuff going on, so that'll be in the. Show notes, if you want to get involved with Street Team, do something in the industry, 
do something to take up your spare time, have fun. Warren is a wild and crazy guy. And there's also our LinkedIn group, which you can follow and know more about what's going on at OGGN. And that is it for today. We are going to make sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for December 2020. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two OGGN live streams, and on the third, we have Moving Up in a Downturn, and on the eighth, we have Quality Management in a Down Economy. The only in-person event we have this month is the API and SPE Houston Chapter Luncheon about the rebuilding of the American oil field, which will be at the Petroleum Club on the 8th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for December, and I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.